So dramatic. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. A few different court rulings has put a stop to the government in its role of working with social media companies to quote-unquote stop misinformation. This has been a topic of the podcast for a while now, and it's great to finally see some progress in limiting the government's ability to censor citizen speech. Also, Mark Zuckerberg, you might have heard of him, is looking to take down Twitter with his own Twitter ripoff site, Threads. And guess what? It won't be bogged down by all these adherences to free speech that Elon Musk promised with Twitter. We're going to be talking about all this and more in episode 406 of the In the Tank podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing just great. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw just before we came on the air for the, the live stream of this podcast today, uh, the Secret Service announced that um, in their investigation of the most secure building on the planet, uh, they have closed the investigation because they cannot, they simply cannot figure out who smuggled Hunter Biden's cocaine into the White House. So uh, we're just going to have to, you know, leave it to our imagination and and just hope that uh, what we thought was the most secure building on earth with cameras literally everywhere uh, is, is actually as secure as we hope. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Also joining us, Chris Talgo editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. I saw that, uh, that, that same story, whatever. And I got like irrationally mad about it. And like I say irrationally because like in the grand scheme of things, you know, finding this little tiny bag of whatever with cocaine residue is probably not the most important thing in the world. But like how dumb do they think that we are that we're just going to like buy this? And it's also like another illustration if we if we needed one every day or something like that of just like it doesn't matter what the laws are. It doesn't matter what the rules are. It matters who's enforcing those rules. And it's just like this. This is just a, a prime example of that. And it just is unbelievable. But Chris, well, welcome to the show. What do yeah, you no, Donnie. So I, I draw a direct parallel between that and the uh, lab leak. So they told us that the coronavirus did not emanate from a lab, even though the lab was like, you know, a couple blocks away from the wet market. And now they're telling us that a uh, bag of cocaine, which was found in the West Wing, does not belong to one of the most notorious, you know, <laughs> cocaine <laughs> addicts in the history of the country. So, yeah, I don't I, buy, I, read, I don't buy it. I, I read I read on Twitter. Uh, thanks to the great Ace of Spades um, uh, blog from which I actually stole that that joke, <laughs> which is very good. Oh, he's been telling it for a week now. Uh, great old Ace of Spades. But uh, he has a clip from a, on Twitter of a video of, of Joe Biden. Or I'm sorry, Hunter Biden admitting that he once uh, smoked parmesan cheese because it looked like crack to him <laughs> so i don't know it's gosh it's just a mystery on how illegal drugs could get into the white house um you know if only there was somebody easy to blame like a you know degenerate drug addict uh you know but i don't know why you would never no, you ask know what? him you know you know what you know, you know what you know what really irks me is that corinne jean-pierre got on the uh, white house 
press briefing and said that the Bidens were not there on Friday. That uh, lie. When, when that was just a completely blatant lie because the Bidens were there until like 6 p.m. And they have videotape with Hunter with a little red backpack getting on to uh, uh, the Marine One helicopter. Wonder what was in that backpack. Right. And look, and look that entrance is only used by residents and staff, basically. And so it, it's, it's, I mean, but you're right, Donnie. This is the why this irritated you is why it irritates me too. You know, all joking aside, is that there is, it's just yet another example, example number 3,412 of the two tier justice system we have in this country. Um, you know, the federal government and federal law enforcement will go after hammer, hammer and tongs against anybody who opposes the regime who might show up at a rally at the Capitol on a certain date. Um, and if you were just photographed there, I mean, it was like the biggest manhunt ever <laughs> to find anybody who may have been in the vicinity and then send the FBI after them. Um, you know, I mean, literally grandmothers who were just there and walking around were arrested and, and had their homes raided and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yet what is obvious what happened, the smuggling of, of illicit drugs into the White House. If that can happen, something a lot worse can happen can, can, to, to the White House, which belongs to the people, by the way, and the seat of power in the, in the entire West. There's no more important building than the White House. But, uh, you know, we're just supposed to sit here and accept that they just closed the investigation. Ah, gosh, you know, we tried. Um, the cameras just weren't pointing at that particular cubby, and we really can't figure out who, uh, who brought that in. I mean, it is, it's not just that I it's don't, a system. I don't, it's, I don't, that, it's, that it's an insult to our intelligence. They know they're getting away with it and they don't care. I don't buy the cubby argument because I saw the video when they found it and it was found in the library. The library is located right next to uh, where the president lives. So they keep changing the story. They said it was the cubby. They said it was the entrance near the uh, uh, the situation room and that there were construction workers who were working on it, basically pinning the blame on them. Yeah. Hey, Occam's razor, everybody. Occam's razor. You know, well, I'm sure. I'm sure I speak for the for the majority of the American people when I say I am so happy that the Biden administration has brought uh, honor and dignity back to the White House, as opposed to what we had for the previous four years. Well, see, I mean, that's that's political I, norms are now restored, and I just feel so good about it. I, I think that we should almost count ourselves lucky that the the founding the finding from the Secret Service is oh no, we couldn't find anything, because like you know, a more cynical me would suggest a couple of days ago that their findings would actually be like, you know what? It looks like by the collection of dust on this, that this is Baggy's been here for about, when was Trump here last? <laughs> Two and a half years ago, you know? <laughs> so it, it we was, just haven't found it until it now. It was barren. It was barren. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess we're supposed to be grateful that they didn't plant exculpatory evidence, <laughs> exculpatory evidence, you know, in favor of their own stupid theory that we're supposed to buy. So, of whole, course. Whole new meaning to the term White House, huh? Oh, there's the he's looking for the rim shot. <laughs> there it is. There it is. A little slow. I got to keep that thing that button up. Uh, so a couple house cleaning items, Jim. I forgot to upload that uh, document to show the the PDF of the benefit dinner yeah. that is coming up. What day is that? Is that September eighth? It's September eighth, twenty twenty three. Uh, shameless plug portion of the podcast. Our featured uh, our keynote speaker is the great John Stossel. Uh, one of the great journalists in American history, if you ask me, because he was pretty much really for the last 20, for more than 20 years, back when he was on ABC, John Stossel was on 2020. He was pretty much the only mainstream journalist to do any stories that were skeptical of government power and, uh, you know, from a libertarian freedom perspective. And he did it, you know, it's almost like he was hiding behind enemy lines when he was on ABC and, and, uh, uh, then of course, then he moved to Fox, and now he has he has uh, he's an independent journalist putting out terrific videos that you should definitely check out on YouTube. That's John Stossel. But yeah, he's going to be our featured speaker September eighth, 
2023 at the Marriott O'Hare Chicago Hotel. If you are in the Chicagoland area, we really would love to see you there. You can get early bird rates on those tickets uh, through August 1st, so you should probably act pretty quickly. But we'd love to see a lot of our listeners that are in the local area. Or heck, if you've always wanted to see Chicago, uh, September 8th is a great time. Actually, fall, all kidding aside, fall is a great uh, time of year in Chicago. The weather's always beautiful. It's, it's really a great place to be. So we hope to see you guys there. It's our 39th anniversary benefit dinner, September 8th. Yeah, last year, you know, I was trying to encourage everyone to come out that's listening to the show. And uh, we got a couple of people, met a couple of you all, uh, you know, yep. some that are happy with the content of the show. One guy in particular that's not, but hopefully he's still a constant listener. But <laughs> I do like when people, you know, uh, I'm not a celebrity like, you know, some people that are on this on the show every once in a while. So I actually like when people come up to me and say, hey, I will listen to your show. It's great. All of that stuff. So. If you're going to be in the area, definitely make sure to attend and uh, seek me out. I'll be there. Jim will be there. Chris will be there for sure. Yep. Uh, probably Andy, too. So seek us out. Let us know what you like about the show, all of that stuff. It's always great to hear from our fans. Also, and if, audio and wait, just one last thing, Donnie. If you're looking, if you're watching this uh, on YouTube, that wonderful graphic that's up on the screen showing, uh, promoting the, the dinner the host of this podcast, Donald Kendall, is also the head of graphic design at Heartland. And look how beautiful that is. So, yeah, very multi talented, this Donald Kendall. Look how beautiful I am and the thing that I designed. Um, so, audio only listeners, uh, if you want the show a day earlier, first off, why don't you leave a review for us on iTunes? That'd be greatly appreciated. But you can by watching us live at noon Central Time on Thursdays, where we are live streaming on Facebook and Rumble and YouTube and Twitter. And you can join the conversation, send us your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comment on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. We do have that super chat functionality enabled as well if you want to support the show that way. Or you can help us out by out without spending a cent just by spending a couple of seconds by hitting the like button sharing this content subscribing if you haven't already or just leaving a comment under the video all these things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people uh, so we have a, a handful of things that we want to get to but gotta start off the show with big breaking news as of tuesday i should say tuesday latest glenn beck book was released co-authored by our very own Justin Haskins. I was a contributor to the book. It is titled Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. Uh, Justin and I are both very proud of this book, as I'm sure Glenn is as well. Uh, if you haven't purchased a copy yet, you have to do so soon. The last book ran out of copies within a couple of days, and some people had to wait weeks for them to print and distribute more copies. Now, of course, there was some supply chain issues going on then which i'm not sure how in effect those things are still now but uh but it's better to you know be proactive about things the previous the previous book was mostly about esg and how it could be used to control and manage the economy we talk about esg and that topic and the great reset all the time on this podcast so all those that are listening should be fairly familiar with that topic this book has more to do with the coming fourth industrial revolution. This is comprised of a bunch of different technologies that are here or are on their way that will carry with them some revolutionary capabilities for humanity, but also some potential major disruptions. So I'm talking about self-driving cars, digital currency, 
automation and robotics, virtual reality, augmented reality, bioengineering, quantum computing, artificial intelligence, you name it. Hey, Donnie, just real quick. You said disruptions. Can I just uh, <laughs> disrupt? Quick... Yeah, I was going to say, can, can, I, can I not only disrupt, but also just make a quick uh, uh, edit there? Uh, how about the downfall of humanity? <laughs> well, we could, we could throw that in there. Downfall of my train of thought, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, the plan of the World Economic Forum and the organizations and governments and corporations that advocate for the Great Reset is to embed ESG-type principles into the very foundations of these technologies. And by doing this, the Davos elite types will be able to wield an unbelievable amount of power and control, not just over the economy, not just over society, but over humanity itself. It's an absolute wild ride of a book and is probably the most ambitious book of Glenn's career. So, Chris, you actually uh, had the opportunity to read an early draft of the book months ago. So what are your thoughts? Have you got your copy yet? Has it been Yes, delivered? yes. I got my copy yesterday. Yeah. Nice. Uh, nice. So, you know, Donnie, this is something that you and I talk a lot about. I'm just very fascinated by this, you know, fourth industrial revolution and, uh, you know, AI and quantum computing and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I, I think there's two sides of that coin. Of course, it can be used for good. It can be used for, you know, great, you know, efficiency. But I think it also can be used for some really bad stuff, some really malevolent purposes. And just at, uh, today, I was watching that Elon Musk said that we are five to six years away from the like Terminator situation, in, 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 at which point machines will be superior to humans in terms of their ability to process information and think. And, you know, for tens and maybe, I don't know, actually hundreds of thousands of years, the, you know, human, the human species has been the smartest, uh, you know, uh, species on the planet and for us to create something that is actually infinitely smarter than us i think is super dangerous so i think all this stuff needs to be taken with a giant grain of salt we need to really do this methodically and not just jump into it you know with you know with a reckless abandon yeah you know one of the so the the klaus schwab types he's the one that coined this idea of the fourth industrial revolution i think that was a term like very specifically coined by him but uh, a previous economic revolution that happened was like the, the dawn of the digital age, or like the computer age. And obviously that was, you know, bore witness to the Internet. And obviously everyone nowadays should know how revolutionary the advent of the Internet was and how everything, like literally everything is connected to the Internet in one way or another. It's 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 you can't. You can't you can't understate the overstate the importance of the Internet itself. And one of the things that happened when the Internet came to be was it was kind of a, a natural flow of things. It was just a Wild West. Everyone did whatever they wanted on the Internet. And, and some things flourished and some things failed out. But it was a very natural evolution of the Internet. And it wasn't until years later that the government uh, really started to regulate the internet in one way or another. I mean, we talk about it now in terms of, you know, potential hate speech laws or any types of different, you know, net neutrality, all of that type of stuff. But it's like by then the internet was so big and massive, this, this freight train of momentum going down the tracks and the government's trying to stand in the way and hold back this train. They can't do it. So this time around, they're trying to embed those rules that they're trying to uh, put onto the Internet now ahead of time before this fourth industrial revolution technology is out the gate. Like if they could take a, a time machine 
back in time to when the internet was just starting and start embedding their rules right from the start? Of course they would. And could you imagine what the internet would look like then and the amount of control that these people would have now over the social dialogue and everything? If they were able to have the internet at their uh, at their disposal, their control, that's what you know they've learned from their mistakes. That's what they're trying to do this time, and that is basically what Dark Future uh, is all about. So, I, but but I I don't think that that the internet and AI and the things that you're talking about in you know in the book are like on, on a parallel track. The you know the internet is just like a information superhighway. So it allows us to access, you know, websites and to, you know, communicate, you know, effectively, you know, over vast distances, you know, in real time, what AI is doing and what these, you know, what their other things that they're talking about doing is, is just completely refashioning the human experience. So I don't really draw a direct connection between those two. And just, just a couple of days ago, China came out and said that they're developing AI with quote unquote socialist values. So it's not just a United States <laughs> thing. This is happening in Russia. This is happening in China. And I can guarantee you that they do not have the same uh, motivations for this uh, technology that a lot of people here in the United States do. I mean, we, we have talked about ChatGPT on this program. We've talked about uh, different, you know, we've had Ed Hudgens coming on talking about bioengineering and all types of different tech on this. But this book just kind of goes deep into all of these different things. And some of the stuff that Chris is bringing up is like kind of later chapters. But there are entire chapters just dedicated to automation and the idea of self-driving cars and the potential of putting you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people worldwide out of a job because of the the wave of automation that's coming through. And then guess who's going to be there to kind of pick up the pieces, you know, if there is some societal and economic disruptions? Oh, your great friends, your central planners over at Davos. Of course, they've got plans for all of that. So, uh, so yeah, it's a very important book. It's cutting edge. I mean, this is not like your, your standard you know, America the Beautiful by Senator whatever that talks about, you know, your your basic stuff in terms of freedom in America or whatever. Like this is this is some brand new stuff that uh, that that people really need to wrap their head around. So it's a very important book. You got to check it out. Like I said, it came out this past Tuesday. Uh, surely there are still copies available. So you got to you got to you got to order one. Uh, and then maybe we'll talk about it more on different videos, but we'll see. Jim. Did you get your copy yet? Are you planning on reading it? I plan on reading it. You didn't bring a copy into the office. I see you have one there. Uh, I'm sure you have more than that. Um, I would like you to sign it. I'd like you to dedicate it to me. And, um, you know, uh, that would be nice. Yeah, do that one right there. That would be that'd be handy. You don't need that one. I don't, no. <laughs> you can script it to me. Uh, but no, I am looking very much looking forward to reading it. I'm sure it's going to be a horrifying read. Boom. There's my Boom. name right there. Donald Kendall. Yep. In fact, when you, when you uh, inscribe that for me, hit that with highlighter pen. So I don't forget that you were a contributor to the book. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but the, the idea that China is going to make AI that with, um, uh, with socialist leanings, uh, I think Silicon Valley's already got the patent on that one. So, um, but once again, it's just another bad Chinese knockoff. <laughs> That's right. Boom. Set them up, knock them down. <laughs> Um, all right, great. Well, maybe we should get to our main topics. We're already 20 minutes into this video here. So uh, the main topics is actually comprised of a small collection of stories that um, that I've got. All, all these links are in the show notes. One of these stories was brought up briefly last week by Jim, and it is about this federal judge 
destroys the government's argument in favor of censorship that educates them on the First Amendment. So this is a story that uh, that broke, I think, on July 4th. So it was very... Uh, the original decision was on July 4th, and then the... Um, yeah, so then, it's just then, kind of like a poet. There's a poetry there, you know, that this decision comes down on Independence Day. But it says, uh, sometimes justice is poetic. Well, there you go. And this year's July 4th delivered a big win against Biden administration and for free speech. According to the Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, a preliminary injunction has been handed down in Missouri versus Biden, prohibiting the federal government from continuing to coerce and collude with social media companies to censor speech under the various guises of disinformation that have been used. So. The agencies involved as defendants in this case include the White House, the CDC, uh, the NIAID, that's uh, what's-his-face's group, Fauci's Fauci group, yeah. St- the State Department, and a whole host of other alphabet soup agencies. So in this case, plaintiffs allege that defendants suppressed conservative-leaning free speech, such as, one, suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to the 2020 presidential election, two, suppressing speech about the lab leak theory of COVID-19's origins, three, suppressing speech about the efficacy of masks and COVID-19 lockdowns, four, suppressing speech about the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, five, suppressing speech about election integrity in the 2020 presidential elections, six, suppressing speech about the security of voting by mail, seven, suppressing parody uh, content about defendants, eight, suppressing negative posts about the economy, and nine, suppressing negative posts about President Biden. I think they're just reading off a list of topics that we talk about on this podcast. <laughs> like, yeah, right. So, right. so the judge demolished the government's claim that this was harmless, voluntary collaboration with social media companies. When the uh, Twitter file started coming out, I couldn't even tell you how long ago that was. Four months ago? Six months ago? Eight months ago? I don't remember. We finally got a good look at the extent of the quote-unquote quote collaboration between Twitter and the government. And they had like weekly meetings with the uh, administration officials would routinely flag tweets that uh, they deemed problematic and Twitter was all happy to do it. Um, They had like the weekly meetings with like the FBI and different officials from intelligence agencies or whatever. So Judge Terry Dougherty condemned the Biden censorship regime as potentially, quote, the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. I mean, come on. That that seems like a, like an Andy hype, hyperbolic statement, but you've got a federal <laughs> level judge talking about this and is alleged to have blatantly ignored the First Amendment's right to free speech. So, Jim, we've covered most of the stories in that list above, like I said. Uh, what say you uh, to the claim that they're just voluntary, voluntarily collaborating with social media companies? They weren't coercing them. What do you think? Well, it's obvious that they were coercing them, and the uh, and the judge laid it out in his decision. So what what happened was um, the government, the Biden administration, appealed the decision and wanted to stay on the injunction. And the injunction being stopping the coll- the collusion, if you want to coin a term, coin a term, the collusion between the government and big tech to censor the free speech of Americans in. The, the the decision, I think you told me, Donnie, that it's 150 pages. I've only read some of the pages that I found on Twitter and other places. And it's um, it's actually quite 
good reading because the the judge has to instruct the government on what the First Amendment means and the First Amendment protections of it's it's intended to protect us individual citizens to say whatever they like. And and the decision actually outlines what we've been saying and, and people on the right have been saying for years is that it's not just that they are censoring um, people. There's all the censorship goes in exactly one direction. It's everything. Anybody says anything critical of the federal government, of the regime, if you will, of the Biden administration, of Fauci, of any of the policies that they implemented from COVID to education policies to um, it, basically anything. If, if you're critical of the regime, the government is in contact with big tech, telling them explicitly, cancel that Twitter account. It's troublesome. It is spreading mis and disinformation. Um, the definition of mis or disinformation is simply this, speech that opposes what the government is saying. Uh, the idea that the government has monopoly uh, power and should have monopoly power over what is true and what is false is so un-American. And the fact that it took this long for a, ju a federal judge to stop this from happening is actually quite sad, but it is a great victory for free speech. We will see how long we will be allowed to have free speech on social media and not have, at least at this point, the government is forbidden. And we'll see if they break the law. I am actually confident that the, the busybody, know-it-all, um, mediocre bureaucrats who run our society will find a way to get around this and, and really actually break the law but as we talked about in the beginning of the uh, of the podcast today with the cocaine found in the White House, if you're a friend of the regime, the friends and family plan of federal uh, prosecution means you don't have to worry about anything. So uh, that's that's where I think it won't matter. But we'll see if they actually adhere to the law and how many smacks across the face it's going to take for the federal government to understand that the First Amendment um, applies to the people, not to the government. And it is long established case law, I think all the way to the Supreme Court, that if a government agent's agent coerces a private actor to suppress the speech of a free American citizen, that is just the same as, as, as if the government was doing the censorship itself. Hmm. That is long established. And, you know, the fact that they engaged in this collusion to silence voices that they didn't like went on for this long. Um, is is troublesome, but this is the first significant pushback we've seen against the censorship. So it is a great day for free speech. Donnie, yeah. just real quick. So Christopher Ray was in front of Congress yesterday, and he was asked a lot of questions about this. And one of the questions he was asked was uh, if the FBI engaged in any uh, censorship through private companies, like Jay, uh, like Jim just said. And uh, what his response was, no, that the FBI only uh, uses those social media companies to prevent, quote unquote, what he said, misinformation coming from outside actors. And mm -hmm. I mean, we, we, we all three of us, and I'm sure everyone in this audience knows that that is just completely not true. But the fact that the director of the FBI said that with a straight face in front of a congressional committee in a hearing under oath, just shows me that they do feel that they're above the law and that the odds of them still engaging in this through, you know, other agencies, because the uh, Congress uh, said that the CIA was involved in this and all sorts of agencies that have nothing to do with, um, you know, policing, you know, 
like what, what people say here in the United States, the CIA is only supposed to do that, you know, in, in foreign uh, countries. So the fact that it's it's so like uh, pervasive throughout the government makes me pretty worried that this is not the kind of thing that uh, when a judge says, OK, you can't do that anymore, that everyone in the you know federal government and all the bureaucracies are just going to throw their hands up. OK, they got us. We can't do this anymore. Right. I just feel like that's just naive on its face. And I doubt that that's going to happen. Sorry. Well, I, I just sorry, got, sorry to be Mr. Pessimist, but you know. I just got an update. Uh, they just concluded their investigation into whether or not those were uh, whether he was purging himself on on the on the stand there, and they've got no evidence of it. So Christopher Ray, he's fine. He's fine uh, too. Yeah. Chris, you missed last week. We had this whole big thing. It was all inspired by your pessimism <laughs> that caused a fan to lose faith in us. That we had this whole intro segment about uh, you know why we're actually optimistic and all of that. So you missed out, man. I mean, well, we know that we've turned the heart of the podcast black by all of our cynicism here. Funny. So. Don't you have a little bit of uh, optimism from the fact that this this decision came down? I'm sorry, but I have a duty to our dedicated listeners and viewers to only tell them the truth. And I'm not going to tell them a blatant lie that <laughs> oh, I no. totally don't believe. We've corrupted saying, them, folks. By saying that a that a court injunction from a you know lawyer in Missouri is going to prevent people in the deep state who obviously defy laws on a regular basis from doing whatever they can do to you know attain more power and hold on to the power that they already have. I think that that's just a naive, unrealistic view of things. And I think that really what this shows is that we need to come in. We need to literally drain the swamp once and for all. We need to really get rid of people like Christopher Ray who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing as head of the FBI. Christopher Ray was supposed to replace Jim Coleman. He was supposed to clean that place up. And I watched this very closely and it's getting, it's, it's gotten so much worse under Christopher Ray. So, you know, there needs to be just a major house cleaning. And uh, these, these uh, federal agencies like the FBI have just gone so above and beyond what they're supposed to be doing. You know, we've documented it time and time again, how they're going after parents at school board meetings you know, just they, they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of, you know, uh, preventing, you know, the, you know, people from defying federal laws. They are, you know, just arms of the uh, of the administration. And that's a really scary thing. If you've got, you know, these these extremely powerful uh, agencies like the CIA, the FBI, the NSA and, you know, all the other alphabet soup uh, that are engaging in this uh, blatant collusion, blatant suppression of free speech, and then lying about it to our faces. The FBI just just irks me to no end because in 2019, they had the Hunter Biden laptop. They authenticated it. And then uh, just a couple of weeks before the 2020 election, they go to Facebook and Twitter and all these social media platforms and say, hey, by the way, if anything comes out about a Hunter Biden you know, story, just consider uh, misinformation. And then all you know, 51 intelligence agency members signed a letter saying that it was misinformation. But that in and of itself, ironically, was misinformation because they knew better. They were lying. Yeah, well, there. So this that this first part of the story happened July fourth. Uh, there has been some updates to the story since then. So after the ruling and the injunction, the Biden administration requested a stay of the injunction, preventing the ruling from immediately going into effect. The administration argued that agencies, quote unquote, face irreparable harm with each day the injunction remains in effect. So when I read that, I was like, man. 
they must be doing a lot of censoring if each day of not censoring deals irreparable harm to all of these agencies. Perhaps the problem is even worse than we even knew of when we've been covering this on uh, this podcast. The judge denied the request, saying that under the preliminary injunction, agencies like the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, the White House and the State Department are allowed to use big tech lawfully. The only thing the Biden regime is barred from doing is continuing to silence Americans. It seems like this is very basic stuff. I don't know why that this is even being talked about as if it's going to keep going to to higher and higher rungs of the judicial system like like it seems very basic but senator eric schmidt who filed the case celebrated the original ruling and the denial of the stay and said quote this is yet another victory for freedom of speech and another crushing defeat for censorship and while this is a big win the case will continue on in higher courts and our efforts to finally end the censorship enterprise once and for all continue on as well stay tuned so jim i mean is this is this destined for the supreme court to set some national precedent barring any future actions by any future administrations what do you think well i certainly hope so um again we have to depend on the left and let's not kid ourselves uh the left is in control of the federal government and has been um, can, can control the bureaucracy, even under Republican presidents. And then when you get a, you know, a, a radical, when you get an administration, uh, elected administration filled with radicals to, to, you know, amplify or even, you know, make even stronger the leftist uh, tendencies of the bureaucracy, you end up where, where you are now, where a federal judge has to explain basic First Amendment law to the government. And what, a couple of things that I think are uh, important to note is that you know, listening to podcasts like this and reading, you know, quote unquote, alternative media, um, broadening where you get your information from is important because if you were to read the New York Times or listen or watch CNN, um, they framed this wonderful news for free speech as a tragedy that the government will now no, will, will be losing the tools they have to stop the spread of harmful mis and disinformation. Uh, that is absurd. And in fact, one of my favorite parts of the decision um, is where the government said that if you if you don't uh, grant this stay, in other words, if you let this injunction on our collusion with big tech to censor Americans, if you don't let us continue to censor Americans, then um, this whole parade of horribles will happen. Uh, and the and the judge explained to them that um, you know in fact the defend the the defendants being the government listed all of these things that they said they wouldn't be able to do. If unless the judge allowed them to collude with with big tech, and he says actually, as the judge points out, the preliminary injunction that he had um, issued to allow free speech said it has several exceptions that list things that are not prohibited. For instance, the government is allowed um, to exercise permissible public government speech promoting government policies or views on matters of public concern, to inform social media companies of postings that involve criminal activity. And again, the government has to be told by a federal judge that saying that um, I think Fauci is a fraud or I, I'm worried about the, um, the effect that this, this experimental vaccine may have on my children, that is not a crime. You're allowed to say these things out loud on the street or on your Twitter account, and the government has no business trying to get that speech muffled. 
So again, a judge has to explain this to our federal government. You're also allowed to talk to the social media companies if, um, about criminal conspiracies and legitimate national sec- uh, security threats and other, th- and other, um, you know, other really important things that are in the interest of the government. But the government's position was that, um, but actually I should say the judge was just saying, look, this is the classic, the answer to speech or the, the solution or the antidote to speech you don't like is actually more speech. This decision does nothing to stop the government from saying whatever it wants on its own accounts, on its own website, you know, in press releases. They could make they could make TV shows and put them on YouTube if they want, and they can say whatever they wish. But it is not proper for the government to silence those who disagree with them. This is the bedrock principle of the First Amendment. It's like the idea that um, you know the First Amendment uh, protects the freedom of the press. And our corrupt professional corporate press today thinks that that means just them, that they are somehow in a guild and you need to, you need to register and be a real journalist. It's like, no, actually, anybody can be a journalist. Everybody is a journalist. Everybody can speak however they like. And so those protections for the First Amendment don't just protect certain classes of people. It protects everybody. And the government cannot and will not in, in the future, if the First Amendment is going to mean anything, be able to collude with private entities in order to suppress the speech of Americans. And I, it really would be great if this did get to the Supreme Court. And I would really hope that it would probably be written by somebody with a little fire in their belly, like Alito or, uh, or Justice Thomas, you know, uh, and to really smack this down. It would be a wonderful day uh, if for America if that were to happen. Yeah, well, we've come we've come a long way from uh, you know last week we we talked about uh, Independence Day and the Declaration of Independence for a while, and we've come a long way since those days where it was basically established that we need the government to step out of the way as much as possible and allow people voluntary interaction and all of this stuff, even with all of the you know, uh, uh, scabs and scars that that might come along with that, that the most important thing was that the government stays out of the way and is not there to determine what's, you know, uh, uh, misinformation, whatever they're going to label that as and what's fact or whatever. But we've come so far to that, that we literally have sitting government officials saying the complete opposite of what I just said. So we have this clip. It's a little old, but I think it perfectly illustrates this. This is what the prime minister. I don't know what their titles there. Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, former prime minister of New Zealand. I think she resigned actually in like January. But this is her in the height of the pandemic and all of that, when all of these different rulers from different countries around the world were trying to, you know, enforce their authoritarian rule and the greater good, the collective good of stopping COVID from spreading. So let's hear her talk about what the government role is when it comes to, uh, you know, finding misinformation. Uh, and so I really ask people to focus. The most egregious example of that appears to be this text which originated in Malaysia and has kind of uh, has become a viral hoax in Australia and in New Zealand. How irresponsible is it the people that are sharing that news of a lockdown imminent in New Zealand? Yeah, and, and look, that's the kind of thing that adds um, to the anxiety that people feel. So I continue to share the message. New Zealanders must prepare, but do not panic. Prepare. And, and when you see those messages, remember that unless you hear it from us, um, it is not the truth. And I really ask people, just visit um, uh, covid19.govt.nz. It has all of the up-to-date information. Right. And we will continue to provide everything you need to know. Yeah, don't believe any anything that you hear or whatever. If it's not coming from the government, don't believe it. <laughs> it's like... 
completely antithetical to the to the the points I was making about the the founding fathers and the principles that uh, America was founded on. But uh, Chris, what do you, what do you think of when you see when you see rulers of other countries like that talking so flippantly about uh, you know where to get the real information? Well, it's not just rulers in other countries. It was people all across this country, including Dr. Fauci and many others, Francis Collins. Uh, you know, we can go on and on. Um, you know, Donnie, it just occurred to me that, you know, five or so years ago, the term misinformation didn't really exist. <laughs> this is a very new phenomenon. And uh, really, I think what it boils down to, and obviously we can we can go back and say that during the pandemic, what they called misinformation at the time, whether it was about the vaccines or about masks or about social distancing or school closures, whatever, was all actually found to be true. So they were calling it false when it was actually true at the same time. Uh, but really, what what bothers me the most about this is the fact that they think that it is their job to police um, the uh, the you know information that is just being spread, whether it's on uh, social media or on YouTube or wherever. And uh, you know the the technologies that exist today give them that ability because you know you think. 30, 40 years ago, uh, they would have had to go to every single newspaper like editor and say, don't run this story. And every, you know, they'd have to go and call like, every single little local news affiliate, don't run this story. But the right. fact that these platforms give them the ability to, uh, you know, to, to use like a central uh, portal or whatever, because I know that the FBI and the CIA were using a portal yeah. to actually just go in there and say, flag this, flag this, flag this. Don't let this be shown. Don't let that be shown. So it's like the technology allows them to engage in this, you know, in much uh, more efficient ways. And, uh, you know, we were talking yesterday. I mean, geez, could you imagine uh, if Adolf Hitler, or Joseph Stalin uh, or Mao Zedong had some of these, uh, you know, uh, uh, the ability? I, I think that they would be, you know, just laughing all the way to the bank about this stuff. So really, no, I mean, it's like, you know, we kind of laugh about it. And, oh, this is like, you know, like this is this is terrible but it, it it really really is scary oh yeah because it really is you know the, the embodiment of you know or, or the Aurelian nightmare that we do not want to live in where the government has the power to say no we don't want you to see this because we've deemed this to be false even though you know it's it, it it's it's arbitrary it's you know in real time it's changing uh the science has never settled but for them to just say no actually we've determined that this is you know the truth and that anything other than this cannot be uh spread or disseminated wow that is just that 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 is not freedom let, let, let's remember let's remember the context uh of all of this happening uh you know the 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 government is is trying to stop the spread of disinformation and misinformation. You played the clip of Jacinda Ardern from at the time at the height of COVID, saying, "Unless you hear it from the government, it's not the truth." It would be bad enough, even if even if the government was actually right and telling you the truth, that would be bad enough. That still does not justify silencing the voices of people who disagree with you. But the fact that they were wrong about almost everything about COVID nineteen. They were wrong about lockdowns. They were, they were wrong about, you know, shutting down schools is going to be no big deal. Again, if you if you oppose that, if you if you questioned the wisdom of shutting down society, you were also spreading mis and disinformation. And actually, you wanted grandma to die or you wanted innocent people or kids to die or teachers to die. If you disagreed with that, it, it would be bad enough if, again, if they were right about all of these things, they were wrong about all of these things. And people questioning their wisdom were the ones who were right. So the idea of this of of the American people spreading misinformation is completely backwards. 
is completely backwards. And, you know, again, Chris, you said that the that term is relatively new. And I think it's it's all part of have you have you noticed how um, catastrophic everything is like there's this obsession by the left and the government that controls society of, of making everything a catastrophe because uh, catastrophism, I guess, is a philosophy. You could mm-hmm. you could say it, you know, Donald Trump is elected president and it's a catastrophe. He's a fascist. Democracy is over. Um, questioning in a, a you know questioning election result, which used to be about as American an apple pie uh, uh, as anything, is now a, almost it's a crime. It's a crime against your country. Despite the fact that Hillary Clinton never accepted that she lost in 2016, that's just fine. But if you think that there was something fishy going on in 2020, um, the government it's uh, was was colluding with uh, big tech to allow you to not say that, and then they rub your face in it by saying. Actually, guys, the 2020 election was the most secure in American history. And so the, and then if you question it, you're questioning democracy. So I think there's these, this idea of defining misinformation as any opinion or fact that counters the narrative of the regime. Um, and also this catastrophism is, is all kind of a warm up to what they're going to be doing when it comes to the climate change. I mean, we've, we've talked, we've made analogies between uh, covid and uh, lockdowns and climate and the coming climate lockdowns, I believe. And, you know, COVID was a test run. In fact, Klaus Schwab has even said so out loud that COVID gave them an opportunity that they would not have had in the past to, to control the populations of the world. And COVID still was a test run for their real goal, which is to save the planet. And if you, if you don't believe that shutting down our economies and putting everybody in electric cars and making energy so expensive, only really the very well off will be able to live the life that a middle class person is living now. If you oppose any of those sorts of things, you are a danger, not just to society, but to the planet itself. And, and if, you, if you oppose any of these policies by citing science and common sense or history, you are engaging in misinformation and you must be silenced. That's why this, that's why this decision I think is really important because it's really stopping before it starts what I think they have planned in the future, which is to silence anybody who is not in the climate cult. Well, let me ask you, Jim. I mean, uh, like, it seems like a great thing and all, but uh, I mean, won't these social media companies just kind of continue to do this stuff just with slightly less coordination, uh, you know, with the government? Or am I just being too cynical? Well, you know, you're not being too cynical. I mean, Twitter won't do it um, because now it's owned by somebody who actually values free speech. And, you know, remember how people lost their freaking minds before he bought Twitter, but he thought Twitter was an important public square. And he said, yeah, if I if I was in charge of Twitter, I would allow all legal speech. And people lost their minds. Like, how could you allow that to happen? It's like, actually, you're all crazy. I'm not crazy. (laughs) You know, we used to live in a society where unless you said the only speech that is, quote unquote, illegal is very narrow and it's not yelling uh, fire in a crowded theater. But there are exceptions to free speech. You can't necessarily say or, pr- or promote or publish anything you want, but you can pretty much publish anything you want. And Elon Musk merely saying, if it's legal speech, I will allow it to, to I would allow it on the platform. Yeah. People lost their minds because allowing people to speak is, an, is a dangerous thing for, for a controlling regime like the one we have in power now. 
Yeah, so one effect of this ruling that we know of uh, was that the State Department has canceled their meetings with Facebook. So they had monthly meetings with Facebook, and apparently all the future ones have been, quote-unquote, canceled pending further guidance on the ruling by the uh, federal judge in Louisiana. So looks like they're not doing any official meetings. I don't know if there's any unofficial meetings going on, but hey, that's just speculation. Uh, But I also saw this article that was in the Federalist. That was titled The Censorship Empire Strikes Back After Missourian Biden Free Speech Victory. So the article from the Federalist kind of talks about the response to the uh, to the ruling from some of those on the left. Lee Littman and Larry Tribe wrote an article for Slate slamming the ruling, writing, quote, the impetus behind the case is uh, now thoroughly debunked conspiracy theories that the government is somehow strong arming big tech into censoring conservative speech oh and God. speakers in violation of the First Amendment. See, Jim, it's just a debunked. It's not even just a conspiracy theory. It's a debunked conspiracy theory. So I don't know what we're all going on about oh over here. God. Everything's That's, a freaking conspiracy theory. Uh, I'm so tired of it's it. Debunked God. too. It's debunked. Um, so essentially, their argument without directly saying it is this. If social media companies are happy to do it, then they're not being strong on by the government. Therefore, it's not a violation of the First Amendment. (laughs) So this appears to me to be the start of the intellectual left seeding intellectual left in quotes, seeding the ground for a defense uh, as this case moves into higher rungs of the judicial system. So. Chris, what do you think? Is this cut and dry? You think even if this keeps going up and up and up in these uh, layers of court, judicial system, the the results are going to be consistent with this first one? Or do you think this is going to be a knockdown, drag out, five to four decision at the end of the day? Well, first, Lawrence Tribe is a total political hack. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't take any of his legal analysis with any you know any uh, variety uh but w- what 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 i what i do care about is the fact that we have a ton of evidence including the twitter files including you know uh, whistleblowers who said that the uh, the government came in whether it be the fbi the cia or the state department or naad or whatever and said actually you're going to you're going to take this down so this was not a uh, voluntary effort by the social media companies to say, hey, we think this content's like dangerous. Hey, government, can you verify that? Like, you know, let's just make sure we're on the same page here. No, this was a one way street. This was government officials going to social media companies and saying, take this down. So the fact that the, um, you know, some of the legal scholars on the left are trying to make that case is just it, it's it's a moot point. The, a, a government that has that has regulatory authority over them, by yeah, the way, right? Yeah, and they, threaten them. You know, like the old cliche. That's a nice business you have there. Be shame if something <laughs> happened to it. But you know what would make me happy? It's just about to say something like that. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, keep going. No, I mean, I, I mean, that's the point. I mean, yeah, Lawrence Tribe is is a political hack, and and it doesn't. In fact, for him to say that if Twitter, you know, if Twitter or Facebook was doing this voluntarily then it's not um, you know, a violation of the First Amendment. First of all, they didn't do it voluntarily. But even granting that, um, the government still can... The, the, the point here is that the government is not allowed to be in, in collusion with these agencies to silence you. Right. If Twitter or Facebook decides all conservative speech is going to be pulled down, they would lose half or more of their uh, of their users and the stock price would go into the toilet and it would be a disaster for Facebook. But the the First Amendment would not be violated because you know they can pretty much do what they like. It's their it's their platform. They should be able to. Well, let's not get into where is platform or publisher in Section two thirty and all that stuff. Just leave that aside for now. 
but that would not be an illegal, um, that would not be a constitutional violation. It becomes a constitutional violation when the government gets involved. And Lawrence Tribe just, just breezes over that. Again, he's not, he's a political hack and he's trying to fool people into believing that this isn't a big deal um, and that the government, um, you know, should be able to, you know, or these agencies should be able to, uh, to silence you. It's, um, it's the thinking of a tyrant. It's the thinking of somebody who does not value free speech. And frankly, it's an un-American thought. Yeah, well, you know, we, we've you, you talked about Twitter. You talked about Elon Musk. We've talked about uh, him in the past and trying to adhere to these free speech principles and all of that. Well, we don't need any of that. We're, Zark, Mark Zuckerberg is here to save the day. <laughs> so he just recently un, un, uh, unveiled Threads, which is a complete knockoff of Twitter and all of that. And it's supposed to be a Twitter killer. And I've already seen a whole bunch of virtue signaling leftists on Twitter saying that they're going to take their business to threads because it's not as much of a cesspool as it is on Twitter or something like that. So reading from a Washington Examiner article, it says, as it turns out, threads is governed by Instagram's community guidelines, which means users are subject to arbitrary ideological censorship of Mark Zuckerberg's other platforms, including Instagram and including Facebook. Threads has already slapped other conservative figures accounts with a warning label asking users if they are sure they want to follow somebody who, quote, has repeatedly posted false information. Uh, we are definitely focusing on kindness and making this a friendly place, Zuckerberg assured users in a Threads post last week. Instagram CEO Adam Mosier says the goal is to make it, quote, a less angry place than Twitter. So owned by Mike, uh, sorry, Mark Zuckerberg, who runs Facebook. We know that Facebook has decided to limit the political content on their site, greatly reducing or completely eliminating the promotion of political content. Of course, that opens the door to judgment calls on what is considered political. We also know that Zuckerberg was more than happy to pull the plug on Donald Trump's Twitter account. So forgive me if his goal of focusing on kindness and making this a more friendly place has a massive political leaning built into it. So, uh, so Chris, you you brought this to my attention. I heard of threads coming down the 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 pipe there, but uh, I didn't really realize that it was just like, oh yeah, built right in the foundation is going to be levels of censorship and, and, and making sure that uh, the content is, is to the likings of the person in charge of it. What do you think about this? Yeah, this kind of came out of left field to me. I didn't even know that this was like happening until it launched. And, uh, you know, I was watching some news channels and they were all uh, the usual MSNBCs and CNNs were, you know, boasting about how 100 million people have uh, signed up for it in a couple of days. That's an all time record. And this is so great. And how you can uh, automatically transfer your Instagram followers to your thread followers so that you don't have to start from scratch and how this is going to be the downfall of Twitter. <laughs> however, however. I think that the American people are going to understand once they get on this platform. I'm not, you know, I have anything to do with this stuff that, hey, wait a second. We don't we don't we don't want to engage in a platform in which our our speech is constantly being you know, censored by the powers that be, because part of the reason why Twitter is such a fun experience, even though I'm not on it, is because there's such an open debate that that's that's what Americans love. We don't want to we don't want to live in a country in which only certain things can be said to certain people, because that's just not even a way to have a healthy, vigorous debate. So I think this is actually not good for the country. It just further puts people into their, you know, respective echo chambers. And uh, I think that Twitter is actually a societal good. I'm not saying that I am always for the, some of the 
you know, the, you know, mean things that people say on that, but you know what, that's how you have a debate. You have a debate and sometimes it hurts people's feelings and you know what, they just got to grow up and they've got to understand that this is, this is, you know, my anti-snowflake, um, <laughs> irate. there you go. Yeah. What's funny about threads is that, you know, uh, you know, and Elon Musk has been mocking, uh, Mark Zuckerberg about this. I mean, there's even talk like they should get into the octagon and, and fight it out, you know, in a, in a UFC fight or something like that. And so <laughs> now they're all working out and showing how buff they are, all that garbage. But I thought, you know, here comes threads. It's like, okay, if people want to, you know, hang out in a, uh, in a world of censorship as a social media uh, Twitter clone, then let them do it. Let them go over and do it. And in fact, I'm sure a lot of people, um, like you said, Chris, 100 million uh, people signed up for threads. I'm sure they were being pushed to do so very hard whenever they logged into Instagram, which is one of the most popular social media uh, programs out there, uh, services out there. But um, what's I, what I find hilarious, because I will never um, have a Threads account, is that the thread, Threads is a bear trap. People found, you know, they, they, they sign up for, for Threads and then they realize, you know, if I want to leave Threads, because this isn't for me, I actually don't like all this censorship and I don't, I don't want to be in a in a walled garden with only ideological friends. I like the give and take of Twitter and plus Twitter's just more interesting. If you wanna delete your Threads account, you nuke your Instagram account from space. It's <laughs> gone. All of your followers disappear. All of your content disappears. There are people who actually, they're professional Instagram influencers. And so now they're stuck in Threads forever. <laughs> um, and I would actually put it past uh, Mark Zuckerberg to, um, maybe even threaten to people who have threads that, you know, you're being too active or you're not active enough on thread. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe we're going to have to cancel your account. You know, again, that's a nice little Instagram following and income you have there. Be <laughs> shame if something happened to it just because you're not using threads enough. So, uh, you I, must, I, have, you I, must, I, I think it's hilarious. You know, I think it's awesome. And all of these, all these snowflakes that are over there are now trapped. They they their foot in a bear trap and they can't get out. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, well, Johnny, Johnny, just one other quick element is that, uh, um, Elon Musk is suing uh, over this because he claims that it is actually intellectual property theft because the two uh, platforms are basically identical. So yeah. he already filed a lawsuit saying, right. and he tweeted, said competition is good, but like copy, copyright infraction, that's not good. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just uh, to kind of wrap this up, like I, I'm very interested to see how, where this court case goes, uh, you know, if it keeps going up and eventually gets to the Supreme court, you know, what kind of ruling, like Jim said, uh, you know, hopefully Alito is the one penciling that uh, we'll see what happens. But obviously there's a whole bunch of other forces out there. You know, we just talked about Mark Zuckerberg. That's, you know, I'll do this even without the FBI telling me, you know, I'll, I'll do plenty of censorship. What are you talking about? You know, big proponents and great reset and all of that surely are in the pocket of censoring speech and everything like that. We've talked about the UN's plan, the Our Common Agenda uh, uh, plan just last week. I think we talked about that. Uh, a core part of one of their aspects of the Our Common Agenda is trying to end the infodemic plaguing our world by defending a common empirically backed consensus around facts and knowledge and all this like code of conduct for interacting on the internet we've had people we've covered on the show people at davos promising that eventually america will pass hate speech laws and surely that'll you know one uh um you know just getting their their the camel's nose under the tent of free speech and they'll be able to hopefully put in some more stringent anti-misinformation laws you know you've got all of these people that are fighting for this and it's just this one court case happened it's just like oh a nice little 
a nice little cool breeze on a warm hellish day. It's just like, yes, we've got something. We've got something. So let's keep the momentum on there. But Jim, just to circle this back, uh, because I want to pitch the book again. The, you you joked about uh, you know Instagram or, or Mark Zuckerberg basically punishing people for not being active enough or too active on threads. Like that stuff really does happen. Uh, I mean, Chris, you you and I have briefly talked about the the documentary on Netflix, the social dilemma, mm-hmm. and how social media and basically how their objective using algorithms and AI and all of that their goal is to keep you on these platforms as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So they go through and they, you know, determine what's, what's, what's something that you'll respond to. What's a post that'll make you more engaged and they'll make sure to put that nice and front and center so that you keep scrolling and keep looking at more and more content to stay on their platform. And I swear, like I have noticed a couple of things because we do have an Instagram account for our stopping socialism. That like if a if a couple of weeks goes by and I don't make many posts, like suddenly the users start going up. And I really think that that's some algorithm thing to like say like, hey, your users are going up. Maybe you should post more, you know, get more interactive with uh, with our thing here. So the algorithms that are in place in these social media companies, the data collection that's in place with these social media companies would blow you away, would absolutely blow you away. And the amount of manipulation that comes along with all of that, again, is just astounding. And that is a thing that is explored very extensively in the new Glenn Beck book, co-authored by Justin Haskins with me as a contributor, called Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. You can get it now on Amazon. You're going to say something, Chris? I was going to say, it's funny that you bring that up because that was also brought up in the uh, congressional uh, committee hearing with uh, Christopher Ray, And they asked him straight up, does the FBI purchase uh, mm. data, data, you know, uh, information about people's location data? He said no, but they actually then showed a whole bunch of documents saying or t- proving that the FBI actually does indeed engage in this. So that's just like another reason why I'm a little leery of these social media companies because it's just that centralization of information and the fact that they can sell it and the fact that they can, you know, know, know you almost better than you, you know yourself. That to me is just a little scary. So I, you know, try to stay away from it as much as I can personally. Yeah. Wild, wild stuff. Jim, final words for the podcast before we sign off for the week. The government is lying to you, if not all the time, a lot of the time. And that's why they they call the truth misinformation. So um, they've only made it worse. We have no trust anymore in our in our institutions. And it's not our fault. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's the government's fault. It's the people that are supposedly temporarily in charge of government that have destroyed their credibility. So, you know, keep the faith, tell the truth and uh, a big day for free speech. Yeah, couldn't say it better myself. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of In the Tank Podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. Audio-only listeners, leave a review for us on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. But you could also join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time, where we are live streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Rumble. You can join in and talk, uh, you know, put in the comments, questions, and maybe we'll show your comment to the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Um, and also you could help us out just by doing a couple of things, hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevents content like this from being shown to more people. Uh, if you would like, you could follow us on Twitter at in the tank pod. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? 
at Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Chris Talgo, same question. Danny, I'm not about self-promotion. I'm about promoting your damn great book. So everyone <laughs> go to Amazon, buy the book. There you go. Nice, nice blunt, nice blunt way to sell the book. That's how great I Great like book. It. It's a great book. It really does talk about things that are that are happening right before our very eyes and things that are coming down the pike. And you know, these you got you you need to be aware of it. In order, in order to stop it, you need to understand it. It's very important. Absolutely. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.